All right, Matthew chapter 25, we're into a new chapter here, and uh, I don't know how far down in it we're going to get, because it's pretty straightforward. We came out of Matthew, uh, out of chapter 24, and uh, we saw the faithful servant in Matthew 24. Now in chapter 25, we're going to have two parables, and then we're going to have an event here at the end. Um, but these two parables, the parable of the virgins and so forth here, we're going to see the wise servant. So we're, we saw the faithful servant, and now we're going to see the wise servant. And uh, as we go through, there are a lot of things going on in, in here. And then in chapter 26, we're going to have a shift in the book of Matthew. And in, the, in chapter 26, 27, and 28, we shift to Matthew 1, 1 in the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So in 26, we're going to shift to him being the son of Abraham. And up until this point, everything's been about him being the son of David, being the king. And then in 26, 27, and 28, we're going to move now to him becoming the son of Abraham, which is the issue of bringing in the blessings to the nation of Israel, but also now to then all of the families of the earth. So we'll see that as we move along, okay? All right, chapter 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels in their, uh, with their lamps. Now, again, he's gonna, the Lord here is continuing to uh, exhort them and so forth and train them and teach the little flock here uh, concerning their activities, their duties in his absence. He, he's been telling them, we saw it in chapter 24. I didn't put the chart up, but we saw him in chapter 24 where he's been talking to them about being that faithful servant and what's going to happen over into the tribulation and the second coming and so forth. And now here he's going to be talking to them about being a wise servant. And he's going to use the parable here of the ten virgins. And what he's going to be doing here is he's going to be talking to them again about wisdom. Now, this parable gets abused by preachers all day long, all the time. So, it's they, if you look at verse 5, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And they really pull verse 6 out of its context and uh, beat it up. And again, if you've ever been around any kind of evangelistic meetings or down at the, when we were growing up there in Chicago, Shorewood, we'd go down to Pacific Garden Mission. This verse would get brought up and so forth. And really the passage has nothing to do with salvation. And, and it, it, all these passages have to do with service, serving the Lord. So the virgins here are not a bunch of Five saved and five lost people. Half believers and half lost. It's, it's just an illustration here for that little flock about being wise and what it means to be wise and what it means to be foolish. And in the context here, again, we're talking about, he's been talking about the tribulation there in chapter 24. So the virgins here are really references to the tribulation saints. Come back with me over to Revelation 14. Um, again, they, people, uh, preachers especially, uh, abuse this passage and say, here comes the bridegroom, get saved, go out there. Half of them did it and half of them didn't because they're going to go knock and the Lord's going to say, I don't know who you are, get out, you know, and all this stuff. And it has nothing to do with salvation this is really all about being that servant. And the issue here of the ten virgins, if you look at Revelation 14, verse number 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, 
and with him a hundred and four hundred a hundred forty and four thousand having his uh, his the uh, his father's name written in their foreheads. So we have the hundred and forty four thousand here. They're sealed in chapter seven. Uh, we've seen that, that this, just kind of get this into your mind. And now they're up in Mount Zion. They're up in, in the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 7, they're, they're just sealed. Chapter 14 here, the midst of the week, they get pulled up. Verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters and as a voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song, but the forty—I'm I'm sorry, the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are these are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Notice in verse 4, they're called virgins because they're not defiled with women. Now, that has nothing to do with marriage. Hebrews 13 has already taught them that marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. I think verse 4, I think is what I've got. Yeah, 13, 4. So this has nothing to do with the issue of marriage. Actually, if you look down at verse number 8, what the virgin issue has to do with, verse 8, and there, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the issue here with them being defiled with women has to do with being defiled with Babylon. Come back to chapter 2 of Revelation. So when you hear people talk about, well, the 144,000, they're a bunch of virgins, it's all men, it's no women, blah, 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 blah. No, it's not the case at all. Actually, all of that, every, uh, I'm amazed at how much stuff you hear out there that is from people not reading, just simply reading the verses. Not even, not even talking about right division, just read the verses and so forth. If you look at chapter 2, if you look at verse 14 to the church here at Pergamos, he says, But I have found a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, now watch, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto, idolatry, unto idols. Obviously, the issue here has to do with idolatry. And, what, and, and the issue of drinking wine and, and that religious system that's here. So when the Antichrist shows up and when all these guys are there and they're on the scene and the whole picture, these, these guys... By the way, when the Antichrist shows up and he rebuilds the kingdom, he's restarting Israel's religious life. If you remember last time in Matthew, we saw how he cursed the fig tree, the religious life. He shut it down. He goes in and he says, hey, I'm leaving... My house is, you know, you guys in here, now your house is desolate. So when, this whole, when the whole religious system is back up and running, this group of guys, this group of 144, these virgins will not participate in that issue of, of, of that religious system. They are not going to commit spiritual fornication. That's the issue. And uh, the, these guys are going to come in. They're going to be a part of, uh, I'm sorry, they're not going to be a part of the Baal system, the Baal worship 
system. So when you come back to Matthew 25, the, the virgins here that he's going to use as an illustration, and again, it's a parable, it's an illustration. These are tribulation saints who have kept themselves unspotted from everything else out there, okay? And especially here in Matthew 25, because we've been talking about being down in that second half of the week and so forth. So in Matthew 25 specifically, these guys, you think about the Antichrist, he's on the scene, he's got temple worship going again. Guess what? They don't go there. They're not defiling themselves with the, the, the Antichrist and so forth. We just had Christmas. I did those messages on Mary, the Queen of Heaven, they call her. Jeremiah 44, that female deity, you know, the male deity and the female deity, all of that stuff, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 44, all that stuff back there, these guys will not participate in it. So when you come here in verse 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Notice the wording carefully, likened unto. This is one of those, you know, we've seen this in these parables here, which took their lamps. Now, real quick, the ten, the number ten and Scripture is a number of the Gentiles, okay? So what usually happens is, is people say, well, wait a minute. I thought th that these were tribulation saints. Well, what did Matthew 13 teach us? Come back to Matthew 13. Well, what did it, what, in the parable in Matthew 13 with the wheat and the tares, stay in Matthew 25. What were, what, were those, what were they out there doing? They're out there sowing the seed where? In the world, out there amongst the Gentiles. So the, the ten here, they, they, there are ten of them because they're, they're taking the word out to the Gentiles during the tribulation. And this gospel here of the kingdom shall be, a, shall, again, Matthew 13, shall be witnessed in all, to all the world. They're out there sowing into the world during the absence of Christ. They're doing stuff. Now, that's going to be important when we get down here later in chapter 25, verse 31 and following, because they're out there doing this, and there's going to be some Gentile nations that are going to help them. And then they'll get that reward over in the kingdom. Okay? Um, where are we? Verse 2. So the ten virgins, they take their lamps that are burning. They go out to meet the, bi the bridegroom. Uh, as he's coming from the wedding and, and he's got the entourage and everything, and they're headed for the marriage supper. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. Okay? Now, what made some wise and what made some foolish? Verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, all, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said, Unto the wise, give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. <laughs> and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut." Remember Noah and the ark? Everybody's on board and God shuts the door. Okay? These guys are going into marriage and what happens? God shuts the door. Why? They were ready. And that's the illustration. And that's the... Per they went in, God shut the door. There were five virgins who were ready. When he comes, they go in, God shuts the door. Verse 11. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open the to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know, not, I know you not. Now, notice, again, the point here is not salvation. 
The issue in the parable is service. You need to, and what the Lord's doing here with the, that little flock is you need to be ready because you don't know when he is coming. So you want to be what? Wise. You want to be ready. Verse 13, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour where, wherein the Son of Man cometh. What did the wise guys do? The wise took extra oil with them, didn't they? <laughs> what did the foolish guys do? They didn't do that. But see, notice something carefully here. The, the wise virgins, they were prepared in case there was a delay. All through Israel's history, there's a delay. We've seen this. When we came through 24, we see all these signs and all this stuff. It's a delay in his coming. The days are short unless the, for the very elect's sake. He that endure to the end shall be saved. Why? Because there's a delay that's happening. And the wise, I, I think about 24:15 there, when he says, Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Hey, the wise guys, the wise guys, the wise virgins, they understood. They took enough oil to get them all the way through the night. And again, in Scripture, night is equals out to tribulation, turmoil, trouble. They didn't make out like he was going to be back in just a few minutes. Actually, they looked at it and said, you know what? He's not going to be back in five minutes. It's going to take him a little time. So let's be ready. The, ver the, the foolish ones weren't ready. They've come along and they've said, you know what? We're just going to go out here. He'll be back in, in, in a couple minutes and we'll be good to go. And uh, they run out. So they said, hey, wise guys, give us some of your oil. And the wise guy, he says, no, go, go over there to the grocery store and wake them up. Could you... Imagine waking somebody up at uh, midnight, because that's when this is. Verse 6, and at midnight there was a cry to sell you some oil. See? Yeah. They'll just give us oil. Exactly. They were, they were foolish. That's the point. What Christ is doing here is he's showing that little flock that, guess what? Now is not the time to be unprepared. Now's the time. Why? Because what's, what's going to happen? 26, 27, 28, he's going to go die. He's already got them. Hey, look, guys, I'm going to go die. Then there's going to be a time here where I'm not come, I'm not going to be here. The Comforter's going to come. He's going to John 19 or uh, 13, 14, 15, 16. We've been through that study in John. He's going to come, and then there's going to be some prophetic stuff that's got to happen. So there's literally a delay here of at least, at the time, eight years. If you think about that extra year, seven years of tribute of 70th week plus that year of added for Acts. So now's not the time to be unprepared. You need to be prepared. You, you, you need, and because if you are unprepared, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be ready for the bridegroom and the marriage ceremony and the marriage supper. You're not going to be ready. Now, what happens in this here is the oil gets talked about. And the oil in the passage is sometimes said to be the Holy Spirit. Guess what? It is not the Holy Spirit. It's oil. Okay? It, first, and how you know that, first of all, is the Holy Spirit hasn't been given here in Matthew. He doesn't, he, the Holy Spirit isn't given until after Christ is glorified, after the ascension, Acts 1. Okay? Notice verse 8, and the foolish said, here's the second point, and the foolish said unto the wise, give us your oil for our lamps are gone out. How many of us can, can just come over here and give someone the Holy Spirit? Nobody can do that. Okay? 
you can't do it. If you, if you need to get the Holy Spirit, you can't come to me and say, Rick, give me the Holy Spirit. Give me a little of the Holy Spirit that you have. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Verse 11. And afterward came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, Lord, open to us. You see, they go and get the oil and come back and knock at the door. And guess what? They still can't get in. If the, whole, if the oil was the Holy Spirit, which they now have, because they went and got some, but they still can't get in. See, it doesn't work here for the oil to be a type of picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that the preachers use that, but they don't, you know, just kind of thinking about this. So it isn't talking about the Holy Spirit or getting saved or a false servant running out to get saved and then coming back and the Lord won't let him in because he got saved too late. Okay, it isn't about salvation at all. This whole parable here is about service. And it's about the, these tribulation saints who are going to have a charge and a responsibility to be prepared and to be ready. And to be ready to go. Now, come over to Luke 19 and notice a passage that is similar. It is not the same, but it is similar. The, these guys are going to have to be ready for the delay in Christ's return. And, and in Matthew, his delay has been clearly taught to them. Guess what? In Mark, Luke, and John, it is clearly taught to them that there's going to be a delay between him leaving and him returning. Okay? So this is not new. And you know what? You know it's not new to Israel because in Acts 15... When Peter and James and John and Paul meet and Barnabas and those guys meet, and the, in the record in Acts 15, Peter says, we know that God will, has gone and visited the Gentiles in the past. And then what? Came back to us. So that's what he's doing now with our beloved brother Paul. He's, what, visiting the Gentiles, but he will be back. See that, and James, you know, he says what he goes as Peter said, and he repeats it. So you know that the uh, this is so you can get to Luke nineteen. You know that these guys understand the delay principle. Now, sometimes us thick-headed Gentiles, we don't get that. Actually, over there in Second Peter three, the scoffers of the day are going to say, "What? Where's the promise of his return? What was coming?" It hadn't happened yet. You guys have been talking about it since the day of Noah. <laughs> What's happening? And yet, the, Peter says, well, the reason for the long-suffering, go talk to Paul, go read Paul. He writes about the, the delay and why there's a delay. Luke 19, verse 11. So, in Matthew here, in this parable, he's, he's basically saying, look, guys, you need to be wise in view of my, come, my going away and the delay in my return. You need to be on board. Now watch Luke 19, verse 11. And, okay? And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. Now watch. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately, what? Appear. They haven't quite caught on to the delay thing yet in Luke 19. Now, again, he's teaching them about the kingdom, and what do they think? It's coming right now, and so he's got to go now and teach them about the delay and the timing of it. And he's going to go you know, down through here, verse 12, and... He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy. And he's going to go down through there, come back to Matthew 24 now, and he's going to begin to lay out some issues there on those ten servants, which are going to match the ten virgins. Now, we're going to come back to Luke 19 here in just a minute. But what happens is, 
is he's like, guys, listen, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go away. And while I'm gone, there's a job for you to do. Occupy. Occupation. You got something to do while I'm gone. You need to pay attention to this. Now, when you come back to Matthew 25, if you look at verse number 5, notice here, while, because he says something real interesting here, what did they do while the bridegroom tarried, while he delayed? What did they do? They all slumbered and slept. It doesn't say five slumbered and slept and the other five were diligently on guard. Doesn't say that. Again, it's not parsing out saved versus lost. He says what? All of them. Now, look over at chapter 24 and at verse... Well, I'm sorry, go to uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And notice something in Matthew 13 and verse 25. In this, the, ter- the tares among the wheat... Matthew 13, 25. But while men, what? Slept. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. While men slept, what happened? While they're sleeping, the enemy, the adversary, has come in and done what? He's come in and sowed the tares, hasn't he? So what are they supposed to do? You're supposed to be prepared. You're not supposed to be asleep. You're supposed to be ready. You're supposed to be on guard. You're supposed to be, this is the attitude that you're going to have. Now, come back to Matthew 24, because here's the contrast to all of this. Verse 48, 24, 48. But and if that evil servant shall say, where? In his heart. My Lord delayeth his coming. There's a guy who said what? In his heart, he said what? The Lord isn't coming. Now, that is not what these guys are doing in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, you know what happened? They just fell asleep. They didn't say in their heart, the Lord ain't coming back. They they didn't choose that the Lord not come back. They just forgot that he was coming. They forgot to be prepared. Do you follow that? They, they, they're not out there in willful unbelief. They just decided, you know, man, it's mid... I can, I can remember working, the, having to fill in at the, at the grocery store and work overnight. And about three in the morning, you know what you are? I was done, you know? We used to sit security guard jobs would sit and they'd say hey rick can you work overnight i'm like yeah i guess god the only time you made money as a security guard was in the overtime part okay and you know what would happen about four o'clock in the morning you got cold cold and then at six o'clock in the morning you were even colder yeah why that's what happened to these guys it just they're like dude i've been up all day man i'm out they fall asleep okay yeah yeah go to sleep Look over at 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's, here's, what's gonna, here's what they need. Here's the, the admonition here for them. 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's the contrast to the guy who says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Here's what these guys are going to need. 2 Peter 1 verse 16 uh, Peter talking here, for we have not followed cunning devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when, they came, when, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter says, we went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw with our eyes, we heard it with our ears, we, have, we are eyewitnesses and ear witnesses of what says. But watch verse 19. It's almost like he says, but, verse 19, 
we have also a what? More sure word of prophecy. Now, that's what the Lord is dealing with them in Matthew 25. Peter says, I saw it, I heard it, but I've got something that's a lot better than the eyewitness account, and that is what? I have the Word of God. There's something better than what I heard and what I saw, and it's the Word of God. Verse 19 continues, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Again, Peter's telling them, and Peter's writing to the little flock, you need to take, pay attention to the Word of God. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Well, what Psalms say? Thy word is an, thy, the entrance of thy word giveth light, and it giveth understanding to the simple. The old book comes in and just shines up that dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. That's Malachi 4. That's that re the glorious return and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter says is, listen, you guys, come back there to Matthew 25. Christ's coming is, is going to come. It's going to happen. And it's a fact. He is coming. But you need to be assured of that fact from the Word. By the way, he's standing right there in their midst. And then they need to be, you need to be alert. You need to be awake. You need to be prepared. You need to understand what's going on. These folks in their heart says he's coming. They don't say he's not coming. They say he's coming. I need to be ready, and I need to be faithful. I need to be wise, and I need to be ready to go. Now, for you and I, what does Paul say for us? Because this, is, this, this information is true of them here in the tribulation, but it's also true of us today. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says we're waiting for his Son from heaven. Titus 2, he says, looking for that blessed hope. Philippians 3, he says, from whence also we look for the Savior. <laughs> that word look... Out the, you know, the rubbernecker. You know, he's out there looking around. That's what they are doing as well. Now, come back to Matthew 25. Okay? So, this first parable of the virgins, again, it's not a salvation issue at all. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit being involved, i.e. the oil. It has to do with them being, a, being wise, being on board saying, look, he's coming, we know he's coming back, and we're going to be ready. So what do we got to do to be ready? Verse 13, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now that sounds a lot like verse 36 in chapter 24. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not angels of heaven, but my Father only. Again, he's discussing the time element here in the passage. He, so uh, 25.1, what's the first word? Then. And there's a tie here. There's a connection. Hey, all this is going to happen. Then this is, this is what's going to take place. So there's a timing here. And the kingdom isn't going to be set up immediately. There's going to be a delay in not only his coming, but now there's going to be a delay in the setting up of the kingdom. So what do you need to be? You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. You need to be the wise virgins. You, you need to be ready to go. And again, these guys are ready to roll. And, 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 and <laughs> they're waiting and again, only half of them are really prepared. 
So now verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. Now he's going to give them another parable here. And again, it's an illustration. Uh, these are parables that are designed to teach them. They're designed for them to pay attention to what's gone. This man is going to, he's traveling into a far country. Again, just like the Lord is, the Lord is going away. He's going to die. He, he's dwelling in Israel, and then he's going to be moved away, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And again, that is exactly what the Lord's going to do. He's going to call his servants together, and he's going to say, here are my goods. You take care of them. You occupy them. You go and do until I return. Now, so the servants here are going to represent and illustrate out the little flock. Again, that's who he's talking to. Verse 15, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two he also gained again, uh, gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now watch. After a long time, note again, the delay, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. After a long delay, he does what? He comes back, he calls the servants in to give an account of their stewardship. What did you do with this? Now we go back to Luke 19. Because, again, in Luke 19, we're going to see that parable there that we just noticed a minute ago. But now we're going to see it's similar. It is not the same event. Luke 19, if the first ten verses are about Zacchaeus climbing up in a tree to see the Lord and the sycamore tree and all that, so there in verse 9 and verse 10, verse 11, and as they heard these things, what did they hear? Verse 9, and Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Notice, he's telling them what? Salvation's coming. Here I come. Here, you're the house of Israel. You're the son of Abraham. Here I am now. The Messiah is coming. Here it is. And he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Verse 11. <clears throat> Sorry. Verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Again, they had come to understand and believe what? Well, he was, from what you're teaching us, Lord, the kingdom ought to come. And he says, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, guys, that isn't going to happen. There's going to be a delay. It's not going to come. It's, it isn't going, it is going to come. It's just not going to come. It, it, it isn't going to be set up immediately. Let me say it like that, okay? And again, that's going to be the purpose here in this thing here in Luke 19. By the way, this verse helps us because when pe people will say that when the Holy Spirit came, there in Acts 2, that the kingdom of God also came. And that's clearly not what's happening. And this, here in Luke 19, Matthew 25, helps fetter that out, okay? They, they uh, could not look to Pentecost and expect that, it, that to be the coming of the kingdom because he's teaching them here that what? It's going to be delayed down a little bit. So the parable here is given... Uh, to us to understand what's happening. Verse 12, And he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country 
to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now, again, they're gonna, they go out and basically do the same thing that the guys in Matthew 25 do, are supposed to do. They invest and gain the pounds. Verse 16, Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful, a very little half, um, in a very little have thou authority over ten cities. So he goes on down. The next servant gained five pounds. A third servant didn't gain any. Uh, and, and same as in Matthew. So these parables, they're not the same thing, but the principle are similar. And, and the reason is, is because of what's happening with Matthew and what's happening with Luke. In Matthew, he gives to one five, to one two pounds, and to another one pound. In Luke, he gives them all one talent, one. In Matthew, they start out with, with a different number of pounds. Okay? There is equality, though, in the reward. In Luke, they start out with one, and they get a different reward based on what they've done. Okay, So they're similar, but they're really different. The, the details here are a little different. And again, it's because of that viewpoint of Matthew and the viewpoint of Luke. Matthew and his purpose is to present the Lord as the king. Mark and Luke and John have their own purposes. And uh, that's the way it's presented, and that's why, again, Matthew's purpose is to deal with that issue of the king, is to deal with the nation, is to deal with the dispensational things that are involved here in the ministry of the Lord as things are beginning to change and as they're moving. But Luke, on the other hand, talks about him as that man. So now these are personal issues and the moral issues that are involved, and it's a little bit, you know, it's a little different. So when you come back to Matthew, come over to Matthew um, well, back to Matthew 25, okay? Matthew, he says, Matthew 25, verse 19. Again, th these parables are similar, they're, but they're not exactly the same. One, you've got servants. The next one over here, you've got, everybody's got uh, what did he do up there? Five talents, verse 15, to another two talents and to another one. But if you look down at verse 19, after a long time the Lord of the, those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Now, okay, so now here's the second coming of Christ. He's returning. He comes back with his kingdom. The long delay is over. Um, he's going to deal with them about how they were acting and, and, and uh, doing during his absence. And, and again, he's going to leave them here uh, when he leaves as his representative. So were you faithful? Were you ready? Were you wise? Were you prepared? And he puts them to the test. And he puts them, puts them through that delay. Verse 20. And so... He that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliver, uh, deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Notice how that faithful servant issues back in here. Again, faithful and wise servants. I will make thee... Notice, ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In Luke, they were given authority over ten cities. Here in Matthew, he doesn't identify the amount or the nature of the reward, but just that he's going to rule with the Lord in the kingdom. You see, that's what's happening here. Verse 22, 
He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strode. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that in thine. His Lord said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou know, knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I had not strewn. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my one with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. So that's what's happening. Now here's the principle, verse 29. For unto everyone that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into, uh-oh, outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice that. Six to eight times in Matthew, you have that expression, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's referred to, okay, it is never referred to as someone losing their salvation. It is always a reference to losing position and reward in the kingdom. And that's critical. Because what happens is people say, see, that servant's cast out and he's lost his salvation. And that is not the case. The issue here between the two faithful servants and the unfaithful servant is the issue of the reward in the kingdom. The faithful two got rewarded. The one who wasn't faithful didn't use the things the master had given him to use, so he's not rewarded. But he loses his position in the kingdom again it's a national issue he is not talking about a personal individual salvation here at all he's talking about who it is in the nation that's going to get the rewards of the kingdom and who is going to lose out who's going to be the tr in the true fellowship and the true flock and who's going to be the tares rather than the wheat and that's the issue here. Verse 21. Ruler over, in that verse, the issue in verse 21 is the ruler over many things. Both of the faithful servants are given rulership in the kingdom. So what you're seeing here is that governmental development of who's going to populate the government of the kingdom. And that's the hope and reward that they are looking for. And that's when we talk about that apostate nation, get into that little flock, but even then, getting in and going and doing. Okay? So the righteous nation is going to reign in the government of the kingdom. And that's what Christ is promising. That's what he's telling them that they're to be looking forward to. They, they know about the wrath that's coming. And they're, they're to be faithful. And they're to go into that kingdom. And they're to gain those positions of rulership. There, by the way, there is no land. There is no political structure for the saints of God to rule in until the kingdom comes back. There's nothing here for them to do on the earth until he brings and sets up that kingdom. 
until he comes back, sets up his kingdom. There's no geography for the believers to run and to rule in. The saints are going to come back. They're going to take up that government and the kingdom. And, and all of the attempts by everybody to say differently will just go to waste. So when you think about where in the chart here, this is happening at the second coming. The kingdom hadn't been set up yet. He gets down. He's done. They're going to go in. They'll bring the, set the kingdom up. And when he does that, what does he do? He instills his government. And again, the whole issue in the heavenly places, that governmental reign. For you and I, the heavenly places, government. Same on the earth. And how you know that is Ephesians 1, verse 10. Dispensational fullness of time, he's going to gather what? All things. Well, what are the all things? Colossians 1, verse 16 says the all things are government. So you have that. That's why when you go through and like in Luke there, and he says, hey, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. He's going to give that, little, that kingdom to the little flock, that little nation there. Over there in Luke 22, he talks about, I'm appointed unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. God the Father gave the kingdom to the Lord, and the Lord is, is going to give the kingdom to the little flock. David sitting on the throne, and so forth. So when you come down here, back in Matthew 25, you have this issue here about the governing and the government of everything being set up. The 12 apostles are going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the what? 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to do that over in the kingdom. They are, it's a literal, visible, physical, visible, earthly kingdom. Belong, it's Davidic too because it's, been, it's given to them through David. The, these folks are going to be a royal priesthood royal king revelation one he talks about he's made us kings and priest and we're going to rule with a rod of iron so you've got all of that going on here these people that are going to be reading these parables and studying this stuff out you know what they're going to be they're going to be that revelation chapter two and three they're going to be that overcomer that's what's going to happen and that's what's taking place here with these guys. So when you, when you hear now in Matthew 25, in this parable, the first two servants are faithful. The third one is wicked and slothful, lazy. He's unfaithful. And the, the difference between them is rather ironic because the first two servants... They have confidence in their master's goodness and love. Go back up Matthew 25. Look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And, under one, uh, and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Every man according to his what? Several ability. That indicates several things there. First of all, it tells about his kindness. He delivered his goods to a bunch of people who don't have anything. They don't deserve it, but he gave it to them anyway. So he's kind to them. He could have went out and hired anybody else to do the job, but he didn't. He took these guys he took the servants and he let them have the goods. He's generous in that he gave them not to just one, but he gave them to three. So he, he could have gave the one guy all of them, but he didn't. He parsed it out. So he's, he's generous that way. He's wise in that manner. 
in the manner that he gave to every man according to his ability to handle what was given to him. So when he looked at the one servant and he gave him the five talents, what did he know about that servant? He could handle the five. He could handle the two. He could only handle the one. So the master, he's generous, he's kind, he's wise, and the first two servants recognize that, and they go out and they live in the light of who they know, know him to be, and they go and serve him. Now, the third servant doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust his master, and he demonstrates really ingratitude. He doesn't say thank you. Rather, he says, you gave it to me, and it became a problem for me. He was idle. He went out and buried it in the ground. He's lazy. That's slothful. <laughs> but the worst thing about it was this guy's injustice because he began to accuse his master of being an evil man. And that really is a great injustice because the man, the Lord, the master wasn't evil at all. He was kind and generous and wise. So that demonstrates the servant's heart. When he says in there, Lord, I, verse 24, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. He's not a hard man. He's just kind, generous. He's a just man. And gathered where thou hast not, you know, you don't, he doesn't go out there. So what you see here is this demonstration by Christ where he's going to reward that faithful servant the issue of a position in the kingdom and the government. But the unfaithful are going to be cast out. And they're going to be cast out side the pale of the kingdom. They're going to suffer for it. So what you're seeing here now is the impact of the Lord's coming upon the Jew the tribulation and how it affects the little flock with this issue here that they're going to have to be ready during the delay. And they have to be wise and prepared. They have to be faithful. They have to, be, they have to endure to the end. And if they're unfaithful and they're unprepared and they're unwise and they're not going, they, they aren't going to get the reward. Because now Matthew in chapter, in chapter 25, verse 31, and we'll start here next time, is going to end with one last event here. And now we're going to see how the second coming of Christ impacts the nations out there. And we'll see that starting in verse 31 and going down through the, the rest of the chapter. We'll do this next time. So you have this impact here. You have an impact of this is what's happening on the little flock in the Jewish nation, Israel. And now here's what's going to happen on the Gentile nation. Okay? So we'll come down through as we do. We'll see that. All right? So you have this great picture here. 24 lays out the timeline, lays out all, all the mechanisms 25, he comes in and says, okay, you need, to be a wise, you need to be a faithful and wise servant. You need to be prepared. And how you're going to get prepared is you're going to have the word of God. And because you got the word, you're going to have to be ready. You don't, you don't know when, this is going, when he's going to come. He comes as a thief in the night. In Acts 1, he tells them, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Your job is to go occupy, is to take those 10 talents, those 10 pounds, and go get it done. Get the work done. That's your job. When, when you see this happen, then look up. But until then, keep your head down and get the job done. But Matthew 24 also said those that can read Daniel are going to be able to do what? Understand. So they're going to know. They, it's just like that Galatians 4 and the fullness of the time was come, he was made of a woman. They're going to know the time schedule. It's right there. 
but there's going to be this issue. Now, starting in verse 31, down through the end of the chapter, uh, we'll go rather quickly because it's pretty straightforward once you get the first few verses. But what happens here now is now you're going to see the impact of the, uh, of the Gentiles, one that they have on the nation of Israel as the little flock as they go through, but then also how they're going to be rewarded as well. And uh, we'll have a good time doing that. Then we start chapter 26, which now moves us into the, Abraham, the son of Abraham side of everything. And uh, we'll look at that. Then the next thing you know, he's on Calvary. He's dying and resurrecting, and we're done with Matthew. So we'll be done in about six months with Matthew. <laughs> okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son and for another day of your grace and another day of your long suffering. In your name we pray. Amen.